All right. So we're going to be continuing our Galatians series. We're going to be in Galatians uh, verses. Uh, we're going to start at the very end of chapter five. So five twenty six through six five as where we'll be this morning. And so I know that a lot of people, even if you're glancing at the verses right now, if you were that quick to get there, uh, that you're looking and you're like, yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for in Galatians. Five chapters of doctrine, five, five chapters of you need to believe the gospel. Now we finally get to the stuff. I'm going to take huge notes today because you're going to tell me what I need to do. And I'm going to give you a warning before we jump into this. Chapters 1 through 5 were not just a setup to what we do. They're the fuel for what we do. That if we aren't believing the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis in his person and work for our salvation, and not just for our salvation, but our sanctification, and that we're engaging with the life of the Spirit, uh, that like, like Michael talked about last week, if we're not walking in the Spirit, seeing the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our life, if God's love isn't blowing us away in such a way that it frees us to stop focusing on ourselves and to receive God's love and to love others, then we're missing it. And so the fuel for this last chapter of the letter is the things we've been talking about in this firm foundation of the gospel that we've been laying now for several weeks. And I want you to know that that wasn't a waste to now get to the good stuff. That that actually was the good stuff is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the roots and the soil with which our faith grows that produces the fruit that God desires. So we can't leave the gospel behind as we move into actually living it out. So now we're going to move into how do we practically live out the gospel? Well, we've got to start by being grounded in it. Every day we wake up and we choose to believe. Every day we wake up and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with himself that we wouldn't be full of ourself, that he would fill us with the love of Christ because my love is very selfish and that if I'm filled up with the love of Christ, I'm filled up, I'm satisfied, I don't have to get it from you and now I'm free to love you, free to serve you. And so I got to keep that in mind that the fuel for the Christian life is these first passages, the person and work of Christ empowered by the Spirit. And so now we're getting into how do we start to live this out? We're going to see very, three very practical ways to live this out here in these verses. So let's read together, uh, starting in Galatians 5, 26, because he kind of gives us a warning of what happens if we don't walk in the Spirit. If we don't walk in the power of the gospel, this will be how it expresses itself in our life. So it starts out with a warning that says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. So we see here, Paul starts out with a warning. He's like, look, I'm getting ready to tell you how to live this stuff out. Particularly, this is something the Galatians need. And because the Galatians needed it today, 
And though this wasn't written to us, it is for us. We need this today too. And so he warns them, hey, if you're not going to keep in step with the Spirit, if you don't walk in the Spirit, this is what's going to happen in your life as you live out your relationships. In verse 26, it talks about becoming conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. When we're not walking in the Spirit and we're walking in the flesh, this is what's going to be produced. If we are just walking in our own flesh, our own power and ability, we're not going to be humble. We're going to be prideful. We're not going to seek to encourage one another. We're going to provoke one another. We're not going to seek to uh, cheer one another on in your successes. I'm just going to be envious of you and all the stuff you had in which I had it. And so this is a battle, an internal battle between our flesh and what the Spirit desires us to do. Notice that a lot of those things in that warning are also just very selfish and self-focused. But if we're walking in the power of the Spirit, we're filled with the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that actually pushes us out, as we just sang in that song. Fill me up with your love, that it might send me out to those around me. That the work of the Spirit works in us, but it doesn't stop in us. It flows to other people. That these gifts... And these fruit of the Spirit are supposed to be lived out, not for our good, but for the good of others. And so we'll see that as we look more into this passage. So there's this warning, hey, make sure you're walking in step with the Spirit or you're going to be prideful. You're going to be self-focused. You're not going to do these very three practical things that I'm giving you to do. And the first practical that we see is in verse 1, is that we are to restore one another. So this is one of the one another's of Scripture. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. And so these, this is one of the ones that we live out, that we're called to help seek and to restore one another. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. So the first practical he's giving them of living out the gospel together is that if we see one another not walking in step with the Spirit. So the idea here of being caught in transgression is like, if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm walking the narrow road of the gospel, that I kind of just took a step off. I took a step off into another path, another pattern, another way that I wanted to go. So as we're walking the Christian life together in the Spirit, down the narrow road of the gospel, and we see people straying, those who are spiritual need to reach out to those brothers and sisters and, and to seek to restore them and bring them back to walking in the Spirit down the narrow road of the gospel. So we're required to be walking with one another and looking out for one another. Not, But look, if I'm just navel-gazing, can I see anybody else? No. I'm just walking down my own little path, and somebody else could be falling in the ditch over there, and I can't even see it because I'm so focused on myself. But the Spirit empowers us to now look at one another and to see one another and to be able to restore one another as we get off these spiritual paths. I think he could be referring to this list that Michael read last week, uh, this list of what we would say is a lot of debauchery probably, so very recognizable sins back at the end of chapter 5 there. Uh, you know, drunkenness and, and things of that nature are very easy to see, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Uh, all these things, it could be talking about those things. If we're seeing people straying off, walking with the Spirit, off the path of the gospel, we need to restore those who are in these sins. I think it also could be if we see people going off a theological path. 
So if we see someone departing from orthodoxy, because isn't that the the very thing the Galatians have been struggling with? We've been having the most of the letter is totally towards them going off theologically and that they are leaving the gospel behind at their conversion and now are taking on the law and trying to live out the Christian life by these laws in their own power and ability. And he says, that's wrong too. That's sinful too. And so it's not just a restoring people from these gross sins that we can see very visibly, but also restoring them to bring them back to the path of the gospel theologically. So are we looking out for one another and looking to restore one another as we stray off these different ways and these different paths? And so also the way in which we restore them is really important. So it's not just about the restoration, the action itself, but it's actually about the attitude and the actions with which we go about it. Do you notice that in the passage? What does it say we're supposed to do as we restore them? We do it in a spirit of gentleness. I don't know about you, but my first inclination when I see somebody doing the wrong thing is to not seek to come alongside them and gently point out to them their wrongdoing. No, first off, I think my first inclination in the flesh, if I'm not walking in the spirit, is to judge them, to judge them for the thing that they did. And maybe judgment goes a step further, and I don't just judge them, I shun them, and I completely push them out of my life, or we push them out of our circle because of what they are doing. So we got to be walking in step with the spirit and restore each other with a spirit of gentleness that's not judgmental, but is coming towards them in love, trying to understand, hey, why are you going this direction? Why do you think this is better than the way that God's called you to live? Why are you seeking after this or seeking after that? Let's come alongside them and let's ask questions and let's take interest in them and not just correct them with the truth, but come alongside them in love with the truth. You know, because some of us can break to one of those sides very quickly too, right? Some of us are all loving and no truth. Some of us are all truth and no loving. We know who we are. We know where our bent, bent is. But we're supposed to do this in a balance and a tension of these two things. How can I lovingly tell someone the truth and come alongside them in a way that's gentle and that the goal of that is not to be punitive towards them, right? Because that's another thing we love to do, not just judge them from the sin or isolate them from the sin, but I want to punish you for these sins that you did. And a lot of times when we want to punish, it's because the sin's against us. When we see somebody who sinned against us, we, we want to judge them and not just judge them. We want to punish them. But that's not what the passage calls for. The passage calls for us to come alongside and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, like a gentle care, a loving brotherly love and care. Not this judgmental, punitive, you've messed up, I'm going to make you pay for it. And I think that that's what our flesh wants to do. But the call here is to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. And then there's a warning with it too. It says that if we don't restore them, in a, as we seek to restore people, we, we go in the spirit of gentleness to point this out and to ask questions and try to Uh, encourage them and bring them back to walking in the spirit down the path of the gospel together. But there's a warning that we better watch out lest we fall into that sin as well. And so as we come alongside people, uh, it's very easy when you're trying to 
pull somebody up, what's, what's the easiest thing to do? You can interact with me. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you reach out to someone and they're laying on the ground here and you try to pull them up, which is easier, pulling them up or getting pulled down? Pull down. Exactly. So he's saying, be careful as you wade into their sin and start addressing it, that you don't fall into the same sin or just the sin of maybe this. Maybe this is the sin. Maybe you're coming along somebody, you're gently trying to restore them, you're trying to help them, and they just don't get it. They just aren't realizing it. They're not responding to your gentle call of restoration. And so what do we do in sin? We go back to one of these on the list in chapter 5, fits of anger. That's where I go. So, hey, you're just not getting it. <laughs> and you get angry and you get frustrated with them. And in that moment, you can sin against them by your frustration, your anger, that they're just not getting it. And so we got to be careful that we don't just fall into the sin that they're in, but also the sin that we're prone to as we try to help restore others in the spirit of gentleness. So when people are caught in transgression, they're caught in sin, we are to go after them, and the whole goal is restoration. It's not to hurt them. It's not punitive. It's to restore them. The goal and the spirit and the nature with which we go is a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of gentle correction to bring them back into the family of God, to bring them back into walking in the spirit and to be restored by God. As I was reading some uh, commentaries this week, uh, Philip Ryken in his commentary on Galatians said this, that was very applicable. It said, when Christians are caught in sin, they don't need isolation or amputation, they need restoration. What is the church's knee-jerk reaction, and I'm talking about us, when we see people in sin? I think it's to do this, to isolate them, maybe amputate them and cut them off, but yet what they need is people to come after them to gently restore them. The proper thing to do is to help come alongside people to confess their sins and find forgiveness in Christ and then welcome them back into the fellowship of the church. So if this is our call in restoring each other, if we look around the big C church, how are we doing at this? If the world were to grade us on how the church is lovingly restoring people, how do you think they would grade us? What grade do you think they would give? i got to be honest, I don't think it would be real high right now, especially in the climate and the nature we live in, which is to create factions and divisions and to shun. And if you're not like me, you're not with me. And if you're not about the things I'm about, then you're outside of my circle. No, we, we need to be the most restoring, forgiving, loving, encouraging people that have walked the earth. And that that's a part of our witness of living out the gospel. If they see us judging condemning, being punitive and, and destroying people instead of seeking to restore them, then that's what they're going to think the gospel is about. That's what they're going to think God is like. So as we live this out and people know we're Christians, they're looking at us and saying, does what you believe match up how you're living? Does what you believe, is it in step with how you claim to live and this call that God's giving us to seek to restore people gently and watching out that we don't fall into sin ourselves. I think the reason, also not just walking in the Spirit and believing the gospel for ourselves, the reason that we want to judge people and we're punitive to people and we want to isolate or cut off people is because we forget the way that God deals with us. We need to remember how God deals with us when we stray. 
When we step off the path, when we fall into sin, how does God deal with us? A verse that's really, really like a bedrock verse for me is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. I think this is a great reminder of how God deals with us when we're straying, when we're sinning, when we're caught in this transgression and we don't want to be there and we want to get out and we want to find a way out of our sin. Jesus' call is to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Dana Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus describes his heart for us. And I want you to notice Jesus' heart for you in this passage. What is it? It's that he is gentle and lowly. So how does the Lord treat us when we are straying and sinning? He's saying, come to me, return to me, come back to me, because I want to take your labor and your heavy burdens, and I want to give you rest. I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. And when we do that, we find rest for our souls. So when the Lord is dealing with us or he's trying to call us out of sin, he's saying, come and bring it to me. And that I don't grow tired of you bringing it to me. Because we see in this passage, the Lord is accessible. He's lowly in heart and he is gentle. And wasn't that the call in the passage is that we are to restore people in a spirit of gentleness Isn't also gentleness one of the fruit of the Spirit that we see there in chapter 5? And then we see Jesus living it out as his call, that he is gentle and lowly in heart to restore us and to receive us. We need to remember how the Lord has treated us. And that when we want to try to judge somebody for their sins, we need to think about how the Lord treats us. When we want to cut somebody off from us, we need to think how the Lord keeps coming after us to seek to restore us. When we want to try to isolate people and shun them, we need to think about how the Father runs to us. And he seeks to restore us. This is how we're called to live. And it's not natural to us. But empowered by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, remembering how he treats us, remembering how he seeks us, we can do this. We can seek to restore each other in a spirit of gentleness. And we can watch ourselves that we don't fall into those same sins. Look, when we're trying to go after somebody to try to restore them and to walk with them, we need to be making sure we're walking in the Spirit to make sure that we're prayed up as we walk alongside a brother and sister that's struggling in sin. That we need to maybe even let somebody know, hey, I'm walking with somebody through this or through something. You don't have to give the details. You don't have to give the name. But hey, I need you to pray for me as I try to seek to restore this person, that I don't fall into some kind of sin as I'm doing it. So there's this warning that we want to try to be humble. We want to be prayed up. We want to be walking in the Spirit as we come alongside them. And I know what you're seeing here. You're seeing your spiritual loophole right here. So it says, you who are spiritual. I think we can read that and think, oh, that's just the pastors. Oh, that's just the elders. Oh, that's just the deacons. Oh, that's just the leaders of the church. Or those are who the, it's only for the super spiritual Christians that are called to do this. No, we're all called to do this because we, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God living in you. You're a spiritual person. You're a person with whom is infused the third person of the Trinity. 
So you are a spiritual person who is not exempt from doing this, but that we are to do this as a community of God, a family of God together. But I will say this. If you don't feel like you can go to someone and be gentle with them, if you don't feel like you can go to them seeking their good and wanting to restore them, if you don't think you can go to them in a spirit of humility, then I would say you might not be the person to go restore that person. You might need to look at your own heart and your own motives and ask the Lord to work on you, to work on you, to mature you. Because here's the deal. This is a mark of uh, spiritual maturity. If we can't go and do these things with the spirit and the nature and the goal of restoration that the Lord has given us, then we are not yet spiritually mature. So maybe we need to work with the Lord and ask the spirit, hey, change these things in my heart. I don't want to be this judgmental. I don't want my first response to be to want to punish someone for what they've done. I don't want to be a person who's isolating and dividing Maybe we need to ask the Lord to work on our hearts so we can be those spiritual people that go and restore those around us. So we need to know where we are spiritually before we enter into this great call to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. The second call that we see here, the second practical thing that we can do, is to bear one another's burdens, therefore fulfilling the law of Christ. I want to start with the fulfilling the law of Christ first. What is the law of Christ? Because we've been talking about how we're free from the law. <laughs> the, whole ser- the whole series has been how you're free from the law and the gospel of Jesus Christ and his person and work has freed you and that we're not under the law anymore. So what's this law of Christ that we're supposed to be living out? Well, if you go back and you look at uh, chapter 5 again, if you've got your Bible, go back to verse 13. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And it says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of Christ is love. It's the only law we're under. And guess what? Christ has already fulfilled it for us. That he has extended his great love to us. That in, in love, God the Father sent the Son. And that in love, he lived the perfect life died a sacrificial death, has risen and conquered Satan, sin, and death, and offers us a relationship with him. And when we join him in relationship, turning from our sins and turning to him, we receive his righteousness, we receive his spirit, and we are able to now extend God's love to other people. So the law of Christ is that we would love, that we would love God and love others. And so the measure of the Christian really should be this. How well are we loving people? Not a measure we love to use sometimes, is it? Uh, A lot of other times, what do we use as measures for the Christian life? Nobody. You you could talk. What do we use as measures for the Christian life? Being good. That's right. So I just try to seek to do the... And really, how do we be good? By not doing the bad. So we actually say, okay, I'm going to stay away from these bad things, and that's what's going to make me good. I'm missing the good things of the whole time. And that if we actually relish in the good things, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, we won't want the bad things. So we already do that. Not great either. 
but we usually measure our Christian life on how well we're doing good Christian things or how moral we can be or, or what we don't do and all these things. And that's how we measure if we're spiritually mature or not. But Christ says the, the measure of spiritual maturity is how well we love each other. And I don't know if that hits you today, but it hits me as extremely convicting. Extremely convicting that what we're really getting measured by is the law of Christ, which is love. So how well are we loving one another as a church? How well are we loving the body of Christ? How are we seeking to restore it in a spirit of gentleness? How are we seeking to, now he says, the love of Christ will send us to others that we might walk with them in their life and carry their burdens. This word for burden here is like a heavy weight. So we've all got heavy weight, burdens that we're carrying in our life. And the amazing thing about Christ is that when he saves us individually in a personal relationship, he also saves us into a family, the church. And you're here this morning. And you're here this morning hopefully seeking to be a part of the church, seeking to be a part of the family of God. And so here's the thing that you can't do. Okay, you can't carry one another's burdens if you aren't in community with people. So this is a great step into community. Welcome. You're here worshiping with the people of God. But at Double Oak Community Church, where we really live out community together is within community groups. And, and if you're coming and you're, you're interested in this place and you're thinking about it, I really am feeling like God's drawing us here, then I would encourage you to move beyond worship and get plugged into community. Because it's in community groups with which we can live out these one another's of scriptures. It's in community groups where we can bear each other's burdens and build relationships with one another. And so that's why we, the whole purpose of why we have them is that we can live out the gospel together. That you don't have to bear these burdens alone. Our culture <clears throat> convinces us that we're self-sufficient. That we don't need anybody. And that's a lie. We were made to be dependent. Dependent upon God and also dependent upon one another. That as much as I don't maybe want to admit it at times, I need you in my life. You need me in your life. We're better for it. And that I don't have to bear up the hardships of life on my own, but I can share them with you. And that you and I can walk side by side together, doing this together. We live in such divided and isolated times. We need to evaluate what kind of community we have in our life. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. Yeah, I've got community. I've got friends. And we've got friends around different affinities, right? I mean, I've got a text group in here with some guys. It's a grilling group. It's called grilling and chilling, and that's what we like to do. So a lot of us have smokers. We like to cook meat and different things, and we will share these pictures with each other and recipes and what we're doing. And it's fun, and I like that. I like my smoker, it was a great gift in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, to just figure this out and learn how to uh, cook a little better. And so I did that. And uh, it's exciting, and we, and we can talk about those things. Um, but it's built around the, that affinity, right? I mean, some of us uh, do other things, like uh, Alabama or Auburn or you know, other teams that lost this week, uh, like mine, uh, that we have some, I have community with one person in here around that, that we're Longhorn fans. There's a few of us here, not very many. And that's great, and that's fun. Uh, but look, that community can only go so deep and so far. But if we're saying that the greatest thing in our life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm laying that as the foundation of my life, then we need community that builds the foundation of our life, that we can build upon the foundation of the gospel together in Christian community. 
you need people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. You need people who can cut through all the other stuff in your life and ask you the real hard questions of life, the real meaningful things, the things that matter, the things that we want to live our life upon. We need not just any kind of community. We need a community shaped by and formed by the gospel. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have that in your life, come talk to me, come talk to some other leaders. We would love to get you involved in community so we can start bearing our burdens with one another. So we do this by the love of Christ that pushes us towards others in Christian community. And then how do we carry each other's burdens? I'm going to give you a couple ways. Number one, to just be present with people. Just be present. We're so distracted. We have so many things going on in our life that when we're face-to-face with people, sometimes they can tell we're not really with them. We're there in body, but we're not there in mind and spirit. We're checked out. We're somewhere else. Be present with people. Pay attention to people. Listen to people. Listen to where they're at. Listen to what they're struggling with so that you can find ways to encourage them. So that you can find ways to point them to where they're not believing the gospel. Where you can be able to encourage them to pursue Christ. Let's pray for one another. You know, sometimes we'll say to people, hey, I wish I could do more than pray for you. And that, there's good intentions in that statement. We want to come alongside and tangibly show people that we're with them and we want to care for them. But what we're also saying is prayer's not enough. And prayer is enough. Prayer is action. That we are praying for one another. When somebody shares a burden with you and you say you're going to pray for them, look, I'll be honest, sometimes I don't do it. I say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And I do it in that moment. Like that moment, I'll start walking away, I'm praying for them. And then, but does it, do I think about it tomorrow? Do I check in on them tomorrow? Do I see how it's going? Do I follow up with them? Let's pray for one another, intercede for this burden and struggle. Number three, we don't have to bear the weight of others on our own, but we point them to the one who can. Christ has already bore all our burdens on Calvary. We don't have to carry this heavy weight alone. We have one another, but we also have Jesus Christ who's carried our burdens all the way to the cross and put them to death and that we can lay down our burdens at the foot of the cross. Then we see in verse 3 a challenge to stay humble. We see it says, if, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, then he deceives himself. So he kind of had a warning Then, hey, live this out together, restore each other in gentleness, bear each other's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, yeah, don't forget that you don't want to really do this, probably. So if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I think there's a couple things going on here. I think that he's trying to remind us to be humble, but also I think he's talking to some of the Judaizers that are going to be hearing this letter. You know, as as we're preaching this, sometimes you can think Paul's just preaching to this church about those people out there that are messing up the church when they go outside that meeting. But some of those Judaizers were right there. And as this letter's getting written, there's probably people looking at each other across the, across the house like, hey, he's talking about you. <laughs> you know? And so he, he's talking to them and he's saying, hey, if you think that you're somebody because you've, you've lifted yourself up as some kind of spiritual person who has the keys to the Christian life, which is really adding on to the gospel through following the law, then you're forgetting that you're nothing. You're forgetting that you're nothing apart from Jesus Christ. But I think it's also a call to humility. And look, if we think that we're better than someone else, 
Will we pursue other people? No. If we're consumed with ourselves, will we pursue one another to restore each other, carry each other's burdens? No, we won't. We won't do it. Uh, also, if we think we're something, we're going to look to be served rather than served. So if I think I'm somebody, right, if we become somebody in our community or in the world, then people start serving us, don't they? And the expectation is, I'm somebody, so don't you know who just entered the room and you need to serve me? This all revolves around me. No, we're, we're nobody apart from Christ. And then also the reminder is to stay humble because if we think that we're someone, we think we need no one. We think, I've done this. I'm the self-made man. I've built this myself. I don't need anybody else. And that's a lie. We're not spiritually sufficient. We need each other. We need to stay humble and remember that it's Christ who's done it all for us. And thirdly, the last practical way to walk is this weird thing that Paul adds here. It seems contradictory to the first one. He says, no, but, but uh, let each other test his own work. And then he has reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. For each one has to bear his own load. Okay, Paul, which one is it? Do I bear others' loads or do I bear my own? And he's like, both. So the call is, how do we simultaneously carry the burdens of one another, yet also carry our own load? And actually, the word here for, for load is more like a backpack. So if the other one was heavy burdens that people carry in their life, this one's more like a backpack that we carry as we walk the road that God has for us, as we walk out the life and the path God has for us. Now, as we're carrying our own load, we can walk with each other hand in hand, arm in arm. We can do that. But we still have to remember that, hey, we can't be only focused on others and wanting to change their life, that we forget about our own life and our own struggles and what the Lord wants to do in us. And so I don't know if you know people like this, but sometimes we have folks in our life that really want to come alongside us and carry our burdens. And that's awesome. And then sometimes they come alongside us and they carry burdens we didn't even ask them to. And you know this person in your life that they're like so helpful that sometimes they're like not helpful because you didn't ask them to help you? Uh, there's some of these people, they're so focused on other people and their burdens and want to carry them to the neglect of their own. That they get so caught up in others' lives and if I can just fix this person or I can just do this or if I do this for them, and really what that is, is selfishness. It looks like help, and it's covered in helping, and it looks so great. But the motivation for them wanting to carry your burdens is because they believe if they don't carry your burdens, you won't love them anymore. They think if you don't come alongside them, and if they don't do it for you, and what they're doing in that moment is trying to get love from you by acts of service and helping you. It looks like they're carrying your burdens and it feels good and they're present with you. But the real motivation for doing that is selfishness, that they might receive love from you. And the whole time, they're neglecting their own needs, their own path, their own way of walking. And then, of course, the other one that's a little more obvious is just those that don't want to help others at all. And all we're focused on is our own burdens. But when we're only focused on our own burdens and our own load, we miss the call to go to one another. When we're only focused on ourselves and our own burdens, we miss that we need others in our life. And that's selfish, too. And, of course, that one's a lot, 
a lot easier to see, right? It's a lot easier to say, well, yeah, you're selfish. You're only focused on yourself. It's harder to see the helping hand that is really covered underneath. There's pride. Underneath, there's this, I'm only doing this, and I'm only helping you to get love from you. And so how do we do this? How do we do this from right motives? How do we simultaneously live in the tension of, I want to carry your burdens and walk with you, but I've also got to carry my own load and walk the road and the, the path that God's given me to live? The key is by going back to, again, I think, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. There's a few verses that I left off there at the end the first time I read it, and I want to include those. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Here it is. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we come to Jesus and we're seeking forgiveness and we're seeking life and we're seeking salvation, as we do that and we learn from Jesus and his ways that he calls us to live, our burden should be light. So if you're carrying a heavy burden or a heavy load this morning, you're not designed to carry it on your own. That the call of the Lord is to come to me, lay down your burdens at my feet, and then I'm going to give you my burden, which is light. How is Jesus' burden light? Because he took all of our sins and burdens on the cross and died for them. And now he's resurrected, he's ruling and reigning, and the burden he's given out is his life, his righteousness, his spirit that he wants to pour out on us so that as we walk in the power of the spirit down the road that he's given us, the backpack feels a little lighter because I'm not doing it on my own. I'm not shouldering it on my own. I'm laying up at the feet of the cross. I'm asking Jesus to meet me in my burdens and to give me rest. And when he does that and our burdens light, you know what we start doing? Like when you have a heavy burden, sometimes like I see these kids with these backpacks today and they've got like all this stuff in their backpack and they're like this going out the door. And I feel like, don't you have a locker or something? But they're just like carrying these heavy loads and they're like this. But if you start unloading some of those things at the foot of the cross, your burden starts to get light and that backpack doesn't feel so hard, so heavy. And when you're walking around, guess where your head is? Up. And you're able to see those around you. When your burden is light and you're walking in the spirit and you're laying it down at the foot of the cross and you're walking with Jesus, your burden is light enough and the pathway is clear that you're walking that you can start to see others around you and carry their burdens. You can see others around you and seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness and pull them back into walking in the spirit down the path of the gospel that God has for all of us. So we walk the Christian life Together, as we follow Jesus together, that's the call. Will we accept that call this morning? Will we examine our lives this morning and see what do we need the Spirit to do in our life today? Do we need to pray that we could be able to see others better? Do we need to be able to see their burdens or see where they're struggling and come alongside them? Are we the ones that are struggling and we need to be open and honest with others and come alongside them? Do I need the Lord to work in my heart so I wouldn't be this judgmental, isolating, punitive person, but I would be a person who seeks to understand people, to correct them in love and bring them along the path that God has given us? 
So as we pray, and the worship teams obviously come, uh, they're going to lead us in a song. And I want us to think as we're singing, or as we're sitting, as we're standing, and we're praising, or whatever way God is leading you during this song, I want you to ask him, what is it that the Spirit is asking me to do today? How can I walk with people in these three practical ways? So let's pray, and they will lead us uh, in a song of response. Lord, we're here for you. We pray that you'd work in our life this morning, Lord, that where we are walking off the path that you've given us, that you would pull us back by your spirit, that you would seek after us, come after us and restore us. Lord, if we need people to walk this road with us, would you give us the vulnerability to be able to ask, to be able to share, and that people would come alongside us and we'd be able to carry each other's burdens in the community of the church you've given us. Lord, help us if we're struggling with our own burdens that we might unburden them at the feet of your cross this morning. That we might pick up your backpack, your lightness, your salvation, your righteousness, your spirit. Lord, work in our hearts today, however you will. Christ's name, amen.